Welcome to Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one bestseller, Guide to Healing Chronic Pain, A Holistic Approach. And if you are a highly sensitive person, someone I call a sensitive soul like myself, we have help for you. And I'm super excited to share with you my Sensitive Soul Empowerment Guide, which is one of my freebies that you can get on my website, sensitivesoulguide.com, and it'll help highly sensitive people navigate their lives so they can have more peace, more positivity, and more personal power. So that's a free gift from me. Now, every time we have the Light Warrior Radio Show, I try to bring on guests that are going to make an impact in your life, in your everyday life. And today is no different. Uh, Today we have a very special guest who's going to share with us some really important information and healing related to childhood trauma. I've been a medical doctor for a very long time, and what I've noticed is that over the years, uh, speaking with my patients, seeing what's going on with them, um, what, you know, what is causing, contributing to their illnesses, there is so much that's related to past childhood trauma and what has happened to them in the past and how they have perceived the world in a different space. Like, say, for me, for example, there's a family member uh, on my husband's side of the family, there's a family member who is currently homeless. So we've been trying to counsel and coach and make a difference in this person's life. Unfortunately, um, everything that we've said is just kind of like falling on deaf ears. He just wants what he wants and the way he wants it, and he's not open to really rediscovering or, you know, recreating his life anew. So his attitudes, and he says he wants to change, but every time we talk to him about it, he's not changing. And I, my heart is just like so sad over this because I know we knew him when he was seven and now he's 19 and there's so much trauma that's occurred during that time that if I had the, the money, the time, and the ability at that time, I would have adopted him at age seven, but I, I, that wasn't going to happen. But it's just so painful for me to see when people have this trauma in their childhood life that it keeps like like a bag of you know like a bag of bricks that they keep carrying it into their future and and they keep recreating negative circumstances in their life. So who are we talking with today? Well, Liz Molinar is our guest today, and she is a survivor of childhood trauma, and she's also a globally renowned trauma recovery expert. So 20 years ago, she pioneered Australia's first trauma recovery program. It's called Heal for Life, a peer support-based program that empowers people to transform painful emotional triggers into permanent healing. So the Heal for Life centers in Australia, there's one in the UK and the Philippines, cool or cool, and they've helped over 8,500 adults and children heal from the childhood trauma through an affordable five-day residential program for trauma recovery, which has been independently evaluated to achieve significant long-term benefits to mental health, emotional and social functioning, pain, and vitality. And now Liz is sharing her practical insights and proven methods for healing in Heal for Life, How to Heal Yourself from the Pain of Childhood Trauma. Today we're going to do some pretty cool stuff. So Liz is going to share with us uh, how we can understand our childhood trauma, how it's affected our brains and our brain development, and how we think, feel, and behave. And then she's going to share with us a six-step process that we can use to heal emotional triggers and trauma memories permanently. 
And then share a proven technique to immediately reduce intense feelings of anxiety, shame, fear, and anger. And I know that my sensitive soul tribe is very, very <laughs> looking forward to that piece as well. So without further ado, Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you. Wow, it's so exciting to have you here. And I would love for our listeners to know your story because, you know, not everybody knows of you and uh, trauma is a pretty touchy subject. So it, is, it, it, it absolutely is. Um, the, the, the background to, to my being involved in trauma is that over 25 years ago, I started recovering my own memories of childhood trauma. And I looked around because I was a very successful businesswoman. I was in the film industry, so I had a high media profile and I was well known. And I kind of thought, why can't I find any services to help me? Why, why do psychologists and psychiatrists not understand what I need? I, was, I found it really confusing. And I thought, if I can't find anything, uh, I'm sure people with lesser ability and less money will, uh, have got a hopeless we're in a hopeless and awful situation. And there were organizations for all sorts of different things, like, you know, heart. Every, I mean, everything has an organization to help them, except in Australia, an organization for survivors of child abuse. So the first thing I did was set up a nationwide organization called ASCA, now the Blue Knot Foundation, which uh, we started groups all over Australia. So I thought if survivors could at least get together and we could validate each other and support each other, so we did this, but then I found that just meeting and talking about childhood trauma is validating, but talking doesn't actually heal you. And in fact, in the end, if you go on talking about your childhood trauma, you end up increasing your victimhood. You end up being more of a victim than if you never even opened the door. So I realized we had to, I had to work out a way that we could move beyond validation and thinking it was okay to be a survivor of childhood trauma. Sorry, our dogs are now going to make a noise for a moment. But I'll just... <laughs> all good, all good. <laughs> um, I have my children's dogs with me at the moment. <laughs> so so I, I realized that what we actually needed, and this, I, I, I got this, the knowledge of what we needed to do in order to heal from talking to lots of different survivors and in the group saying, what do we all need? What do we need in order to actually heal from the trauma? And it led to my setting up um, a centre in the Hunter Valley in Australia, uh, a place where survivors of child abuse could come and actually heal from their trauma, a place where we could allow ourselves to release the pain and the fear that we'd never allowed ourselves to do because it wasn't safe to do before. Ah. So that, that was the original motivation was absolutely to heal myself. <laughs> but also all these other people who were also floundering and, and not getting that much better and they'd spent years in therapy but weren't moving forward or uh, just weren't finding any, couldn't afford to get therapy. So there was a huge, I don't know in, Aust in America, but in Australia there was and still is a huge need uh, for, for such a place. So that, that started um, and we opened that over 20 years ago. And it's basically a five-day program where we can go back into our childhood pain and fear in a, in a safe place, surrounded. Everybody who works on the program is a survivor of childhood trauma. So nobody is part of our organization other than the administrative staff unless they are on their own healing journey because mm. survivors are not interested in having professionals telling them what to do. That's right. That's 
that's a power situation. That, that's what we had as ch children. What we want is an equal situation, which is somebody sharing what they have discovered and then leaving it to me or any of the rest of us who are survivors, leaving it to up to us to say, yep, that's what I want. So our program is all about empowering people to heal from their childhood trauma. And it's about people taking responsibility for their own healing, not thinking, oh, my therapist is going to fix me or my doctor is going to fix me. It, ours is not a, no one's going to fix you. Every single one of us has the ability to heal ourselves, but we need to be given the right tools and the right encouragement and the right support and ideally a wonderful therapist or doctor su to support us. But it, 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 each of us has to take responsibility for our healing. That's, oh, that's, yes. Uh, and um, that's, that's the journey. I, I've been on my own healing journey well, for 25 years now. And, and, and I know that, that the key to healing from childhood trauma is, is taking one's power back. And the quicker we take our power back, uh, the, the quicker we actually really start to heal. The, the sooner we know and recognize I can heal myself, I can heal, that's, that's the moment when we actually start to change. Mm-hmm. I think that's really big and what you've hit on is that, that self-responsibility piece and self-empowerment piece. It's like we can't have one without the other so it, we either you know can choose to stay in that sort of a victim-y mentality where we get put upon or told what to do or you know please fix me or that kind of thing or what you're saying is that really being truly self-empowered means taking full responsibility and understanding and believing fully that yes I can heal I can heal myself super important Absolutely. And, and, and part of that is the, really one of the hardest things of all is to start to love myself. But yes. each of us who suffered from trauma, it means in our childhood, nobody paid any attention to our pain. Nobody, nobody cared enough. So I, I, think, I, I don't think I've met a survivor of childhood of, who's really suffering from their childhood trauma who doesn't have a deep lack of self-love. So healing is learning and it's really is learning ways to start loving myself learning and, and practicing how to love myself which sounds kind of pretty silly but you can't just say oh I'm gonna love myself tomorrow it's it's not that simple we have to retrain our brain to actually know that we are lovable and then we have to nurture and love ourselves in the way that didn't happen when we were kids so it, it's a it's replacing what didn't happen in childhood in adulthood and mm. all of us can do it um, uh, but it's uh, and it's yeah, all of us can do it. That's that's my message. Every single person listening can heal from any childhood trauma or sense of inadequacy, um, lack of motivation, lack of being able to have relationships. All of us can change ourselves. Wow, that is so inspiring. And I, I think even in medical school, when I was going through medical school, this idea of neuroplasticity was still fairly new, meaning yeah. that we thought that whatever patterns were set in childhood were set in stone. Yeah. And that isn't really true anymore. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how our brains, you know, develop when we are in yeah. a childhood trauma situation and then what happens after that. I think it, that, that's what all of this area is so interesting because it really is only about the last 25 years that people have really recognized that the brain is plastic. And our services, services that any of your listeners may be turning to, a lot of them 
trained and learned and set up their systems before we knew the brain was plastic. What, what does it mean? It means that when we're born, we are born with a brain which is going to develop and change according to external, external input. So dependent on where we're born into, the sort of love we receive, the sort of uh, responses we get from our parents, our brain develops in order to make us able to adapt to that situation. Because mm. humans are absolutely dependent upon their parents uh, for a very, very long time. So it means that we have to adapt ourselves. So if we have a parent who yells at us all the time, as a baby we learn not to cry because if we cry they'll yell more. So then you grow up as a person who doesn't think you ever better speak or, or make a sound because if I, if I speak I get into trouble. So we can set all sorts of belief systems inside ourselves in those particularly in the first year of life in the first year of life our brain doubles in size in the first year of life we set pathways of belief where different parts of our brain connect up in order for us to immediately react and respond to keep ourselves safe and, and this is great if you have wonderful parents who are consistent who teach us that you know if, if we are you know if we ask nicely we're given something who <laughs> if we cry they pick us up um, we we, uh, we learn that we matter uh, right but if we cry and nobody picks us up then we learn we don't matter and so we learn to be quiet or you know if we fall over and, and nobody says you know oh what's happened then we learn we better just get on with life on our own or or we may learn that if we cry an awful lot and we get a response. So then as adults, we complain and cry an awful lot whenever we want attention from someone. So we, we, we build up all these wrong ways of reacting and responding in life, which we have to um, discover the cause of them, the root of our self-belief, in order that we can eliminate them. Mm. Well, it, it does require quite a bit of self-awareness. And so how does somebody get to that degree of self-awareness? Well, at any moment that anything happens in our childhood where there is something that is more emotion than we can deal with, which we actually think is life-threatening, then our brain goes into a special trauma reaction, a reaction mm. to ensure that whenever that happens again, we will go into what's called fight or flight. And this is what is so difficult for survivors. We, we get triggered into reminders of stuff that happened in childhood but we don't know that it's stuff that's happened in childhood, so we just wonder why we're reacting. So if you had an alcoholic parent, then you might find whenever you go to a party and you smell, because we get triggered through our senses, whenever we go to a party and smell alcohol, we will go into a fight or flight. That means we either become incredibly angry, or we might leave the party, or we might have a physical reaction like getting a migraine, uh, or we might just sort of what's called dissociate, just not mm -hmm. aware of our surroundings. So any of these reactions are because the brain knows the smell of alcohol is dangerous. Sometime in our childhood, when our mother, let's, let's say it's our mother, when our mother was drunk, uh, and maybe she um, hit at us and yelled at us in such a way that we thought we were going to die. Well, for that reason, the brain has locked in that the smell of alcohol, whenever you, whenever you hear it, without us thinking, it's a reaction. We go into this fight, flight, freeze reaction. And all of us who've suffered from trauma will have a number of different triggers. 
So perhaps the first self-awareness is thinking, what are the things I react to? What, you know, what do I, what do I, you know, suddenly not be myself? Because that's the beginning of starting to realize how much of, for me, my personality was impacted uh, by my childhood, by, by what I learned um, either during uh, abuse or you know, I learned as a child or at any moments of trauma that, that I suffered from. And I mean, it can be if you take a very simple example. A lot of people are frightened of spiders. Mm-hmm. Almost every time I, I take a person through their right brain, because in your right brain, your unconscious brain, trauma is stored. So they go back in their right brain through using visualization or music or art. Anyway, they go into their right brain and then they remember maybe when they're in the cot, there was a spider above their cot. So their mother came in and screamed and said, oh my God, there's a spider, it's going to kill you. Ah! So that fear <laughs> to the baby becomes locked into the baby. If mum is frightening, that frightened, it must be very, very scary. So the right. baby forevermore reacts whenever they see a spider. So anyone who's overly frightened of spiders, it's probably because your mother was frightened or your father or your grandmother or somebody at a very impressionable age was, and who mattered to you was frightened of a spider. So that's the most simple um, trauma reaction. So, so for me, any phobia it will have a trauma base because that, that's the way the brain is constructed. And that's amazing. And, and I've, I've seen people, I'm sure you have as well, with, who have sometimes weird allergies. And it absolutely. come to find out, like, oh, yeah, and it's associated with a traumatic event. Absolutely. Um, um, uh, a recent one, because it happens absolutely all the time, uh, was a guy who was, um, didn't, he said, could we not have any oil? You know, I said, well, that's going to be really, he said, oil, polish, anything with oil, um, and, uh, and I have a big reaction to. Um, so I said, okay. Um, so then we, he, he discovered, um, when he sort of went back into, into thinking about his childhood, he remembered that when he was a kid, his uncle, who sexually abused him, used to arrive on a, a motorbike that smelt of oil. So you see, our senses locked in smell is one of the strongest senses because it goes across both parts of the brain. So anything is so the smell of oil uh, was a triggered reaction, and lots of others. Anyone who's got problems with allergies, I agree with you. A lot of allergies mm-hmm. are caused, um, or the look of something um, reminds them of semen. So so that the kids have been sexually abused, so they can't wear anything that's white or um, you know looks like that. There's a lot, a lot, masses of allergies. My sister had one, which was a classic. Uh, my sister was allergic to cheese, and to be allergic to cheese is actually quite tiresome because it is in an awful lot of dishes. <laughs> and one night, about seven years ago. I said, uh, Lucy, I'm really bored with you being allergic to cheese. Could you go and process it? That's what we call it. Can you go and ask your little girl why you react to cheese? So my sister said, oh, don't be so stupid, you know. <laughs> She's my older sister. Uh, and I said, well, just, just favor me, do it. So she went to bed and she did uh, what it, in my book, Heal for Life, people can learn about and read about. But she went to bed and she said to her little girl, because she now had a, has a real connection with her right brain, and, and she drew, she drew with her non-dominant hand what it was about um, cheese, the smell of cheese. And her little girl drew, and then she remembered that my father 
in my sister's mind, was trying to kill her by, um, by squeezing on her neck. And his hands smelled of a gardener's soap that smells like cheese. <laughs> so it was set into her fear center, what's called the amygdala in the brain, uh, was that the smell, whenever she hears, heard the smell of cheese, she would react into a fight-flight reaction. And because he was pressing on her neck, the reaction was a sort of gagging, an absolute allergy to cheese. So when she let her little girl release the fear, the absolute fear of being thinking her daddy was going to kill her, uh, and when she'd released that fear, she then did what we do, which is empower the child part. So then she let her little girl uh, kill my father, which you can do in your imagination. We don't need to do it in real life. Children can do it. <laughs> it just empowers them to overcome, you know, um, overcome their fear. So in this case, in Australia, we have a very big um, lizard called a goanna, like six foot long. And that day, she'd found one in her bedroom and had been gone, been really scared and said, "There's a dragon, you know, in my bedroom." Right. Um, and it wasn't. It was a, a goanna. So anyway, she got the. Uh, she imagined a goanna, and she got a goanna to eat her father. Now <laughs> that meant her little girl had now got control of the situation. So her little girl then felt good, and then she did our third stage of healing, which is she then nurtured the little girl and she loved the little girl and held her and told her she was such a brave little girl. Mm. So when I woke up in the morning, my sister came in and said, okay, I'll have a cheese omelette for breakfast. <laughs> and then we had risotto for dinner and we had spaghetti bolognese and pizza and she now can absolutely eat any cheese with no problem at all. So oh, wow. that's, that's, that's a, a classic example. I love that. that. No, that's a great story. Yeah, well, yeah. she was in her 70s. She was in her early 70s when that happened. So she had 70 years of not eating cheese. Mm-hmm. Well, so, yeah, I, very similarly, I was uh, doing acupuncture on my dad's knee. It somehow got a swollen knee, and I said to him, by the way, uh, do you mind if I do some emotion code on you? And he's like, yeah, whatever, right? He's like, they didn't care because his knee was hurting. Normally, he's not kind of into that woo-woo weird yeah. stuff, right? <laughs> but I'm doing it out loud, right? And I'm trying to figure out, well, it came out that there was a there was an allergy to salt. And I thought, okay, weird. Mm-hmm. So there was a trapped emotion from age three, and it, and it was around the time there was like, you know, Japanese was bombing you know, China and, you know, stuff like that. And, um, and so the trapped emotion was terror. Yep. So Which we is fear. Really, terror yeah. is fear. Yeah, so absolutely. Fear, whatever word we put to it, whether we call it terror or right. scare or whatever. Well, this is one that's actually in the chart in the emotion code technique that we, mm. that I do. And, uh, mm. so after that, I noticed that his blood pressure stopped spiking every time he went <laughs> out to eat. Like it would stabilize. And so he's able to go out to eat without it spiking. Now, I wish his doctors would then go, gee, that's great. Your blood pressure is so much better. Let's take you off some of these blood pressure medications. But, of course, that didn't happen. They're like, oh, must be working. All your medicine must be working. (laughs) Yes, it's it's an absolute tragedy how many people, um, the medical profession, I I mean, utterly fantastic the medical profession is. I'm not not, uh, negating it. But this belief that medicine is the cure for so much is is so sad because if only we had the core reason, then we wouldn't need the medication. And um, they now recognize things like epilepsy, epilepsy. so many things that people have just thought are hopeless, you've got it for the rest of your life, are based from trauma. So you heal the trauma and you heal um, the presenting illness. 
and, and that's life-changing for so many of our guests. It's absolutely changed their lives when they realize we've had people, you know, coming, you know, not able to walk properly and walking out without their sticks. I'm not, you know, we're not miracle healers. It's because they've addressed the fear inside themselves, it, which was in a certain part of their body. It's not, you know, it's not what we do. It's what people do for themselves. Mm, yeah, so true, so true. Whatever it is, it, that fear is very, very, um, the whole body. We still don't know exactly how emotions are held in the body. I mean, a lot of people are having ideas. We haven't really unlocked exactly how emotions are held cellularly throughout the body yet. Because that's what happened with me. I then started studying because I wanted to learn so I could give people scientific answers to everything about trauma so that people could know that what has happened to us is a physical illness just the same as any other physical illness but we heal it because it's the brain we heal it with mental exercises but it's mm -hmm. a physical illness and, uh, and therefore it takes away this terrible stigma of having a disorder you know you've got a border personality disorder or right where all these labels so disabling and labeling and and that person is no different from anybody else it is just they suffered from trauma at an early age so their brain has wired incorrectly and can be wired correctly if they choose to heal from their trauma mm -hmm. perfect so i wanted to share with our listeners the website where they can learn more about the Heal for Life book. So that's www.healforlife-book.com.au. So I'll repeat that for everyone. So healforlife-book.com.au. And uh, so, so Liz, today we were gonna you were gonna share with us um, like kind of the what we call like a six-step process is that uh, that we well, can use to heal emotional awesome. triggers yeah. is that in the book it, 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 what I decided um, last year was I thought oh, I'm getting old so <laughs> I think I must put down everything that I know in writing because my passion is for survivors to know that they can heal so I've put in this book everything that I've learned over 20 years of working on myself as well as with thousands of survivors of childhood trauma so I put everything that I've learned everything about why the brain how the brain is what causes trauma what is trauma um, how to learn tools for learning to love yourself um, boundaries every, every aspect of healing from trauma how it affects our relationships everything so it's a big book but don't anyone get frightened by that because I've put big fonts and very easy to read. And I've <laughs> in a very easy to read way because I know for us survivors, the trouble is it affects the way we are, our, our belief in our own intelligence. So, so mm -hmm. the book is written deliberately understanding that when we've suffered from trauma, we also suffer from an inability to learn easily. So, um, so that's, that's, that's why I wrote this book because of course, in, in England and the Philippines and France and everywhere, people can come for healing weeks. But this is for people who can't, but want to kind of get some clues for themselves so they can start directing their therapists and can start saying, hey, let, can we try this? Or, hey, I've, I've read this. Or just get some tools so they can start um, changing themselves. Mm, okay. Uh, I think you were saying, yeah, I think you were saying about tools. I think the most useful tool I really love people to hear this morning or this evening or whenever whatever time of day any of you are listening to this is about triggering because 
when we recognize and realize how triggering has impacted our lives and our own self-belief, if you can start to recognize when you have a reaction to things, that's the beginning of a self-awareness that means you can start demanding um, to get the right sort of therapy and the right sort of help. So triggering is when through our senses, which is, I was getting, can never remember them all, but you'll be able to remind me, smelling, mm-hmm. um, hearing, sight, touch, touch. taste, um, any of those are the main ones. But um, it also is other senses such as pain can cause a reaction. Um, an, an event can, can be a trigger. If you were had a problem at a kid's party, then every time you're invited to a kid's party, you might go into a reaction, no, no, I don't want to go thinking, why don't I want to go? Well, that, that's a, a triggered reaction. So triggers can be caused by many things, and they cause this reaction, uh, which is either to run away, or it can be to get very angry, or it can, or it can be a pain reaction. It, a lot of, so many people with chronic fatigue syndrome, with migraines, have discovered that the whole basis of those was a triggered reaction, mm-hmm. and they started realizing that, and when they got a headache saying, what am I frightened? In a moment, I'll tell them how to detrigger yourselves. But, but starting to learn these reactions, and their reactions, they're not responses, they're reactions from the brain before we can control that reaction. I think that's the beginning of, of realizing that changes are possible. So this is perhaps the most important tool I give to anyone. So let me give it to your listeners. If, if you're triggered, if you get a reaction, if you suddenly get a headache, if you, if you suddenly feel extraordinarily tired, look at someone because the optical neurons are the strongest neurons or look in a mirror and say, I feel frightened or I feel scared or I feel terrified. Ideally, if there's somebody else there, if you've got a loving partner, you can get them to learn to say, it's okay because whatever was scary happened in your past. And it's not happening right now, is it? So the mm-hmm. person says, no, it isn't. And then they can just breathe. And it is instantaneous. And the reason it works is because trauma is held in the right brain. Our speaking part of our brain is in the left brain. So when we speak how we are feeling, we connect our right and left brain And so the left brain takes us out of the emotional fear and the emotional reaction. The left brain, as it were, takes over because it's the logical brain. So as soon as we speak how we are feeling, speak our fear, we minimize the fear. Oh, interesting. You're frightened of flying. You know, just if you sit in a plane and say to the person next to you, I feel frightened of flying, you will feel less frightened. When we deny our emotions they increase because it's the right brain trying to say, you're not listening to me, you're not listening to me, I'm frightened. If we say it, it lessens it. Acknowledging the emotion lessens the emotion. So anxiety attacks come because we're trying not to feel the fear. Anxiety covers the fear. So for anyone listening, if you can just start thinking of saying, I feel scared or I feel frightened, and either looking in a mirror or saying it to someone, 
it, literally that tool can just change your life. I mean, it's it's we have um, we have kids camps and we have the worst behaved kids in Australia come come to us. <laughs> the government you know the government likes sending them to us because we kind of the you know when you can't oh, wow. do anything with send them to us which is fine, but they all learn these really big bullies, these violent kids, to carry a mirror in their pocket and if they get angry, if they want to bash someone up, they know to go into the toilet, look in their little mirror in their pocket and say, I feel scared and it's okay to feel scared. It isn't Johnny who's the bad one, it's my dad or whoever and then they put the mirror and then they don't bash Johnny up and then they don't get expelled from school. So it's wow. emotional for kids because they, it gives them control of their emotions. Anger management doesn't work because anger management is trying to get your left brain, which is not as strong as your right brain, to take control. But this method is allowing, acknowledging what your right brain, your stronger brain is feeling mm-hmm. and, and therefore calming it. So that's probably the most single useful tool I can pass on to anyone and you can kind of hear it it really changes people's lives but you've got to just try it everyone who's listening you can't, you've got just try it the next time you have a reaction the next time you suddenly feel angry anger covers fear so yes. when you feel angry anger is a trauma reaction to fear so just think if you're suddenly furious that something's happened just try it for fun just look in the mirror and say I feel scared and Usually it comes up in your head what you're scared of and just say, I feel scared because that person isn't listening to me and my mother didn't listen to me either and it's okay because that happened in the past but it's not happening right now, is it? Mm-hmm. And then take a deep breath to release the fear and suddenly you're not angry anymore. Wow, that is fantastic. What a great tool. <laughs> it's such a simple tool and it is, it is life-changing. And I'm happily, freely will give that to everyone in the world because I want everyone in the world to heal and everyone in the world to have better lives because that's what we, we, we all want to be about. And you can, you can see, if you, if you look at Prince Harry, it's a prime example at the moment, he is in a triggered reaction, in my opinion, by the media. He goes into fear, he goes into fight flight whenever the media have all that because of his mother. I reckon that's the core to all the problems that are going on at the moment. There you are. That's mm. my, that's my, that's my, that's my thought for the day. Yeah, you're probably right. I don't follow the royals very much. I'm, I'm kind of out of that loop, but uh, but I can feel into it intuitively. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely unresolved. And, and I don't know about you, but I, it definitely, you know, there's a pang of pain for me just to witness people's unresolved stuff like it really I just feel sad for them and realizing that there's another way oh and because you can heal I mean everybody can heal and everybody has the right to heal and it's appalling that even someone in his position has not had the right therapist to get him to heal to help him to heal I mean it it, you see it everywhere and you go Mm -hmm. uh, you know oh my goodness all these famous rich people and no one's actually helped them to heal from their trauma because mm-hmm. once you're mm-hmm. from your trauma, it doesn't affect you anymore. Because every time you, like with my sister with the cheese, once she'd unlocked the trauma, the right brain lets go of that, of that trigger reaction. So she never reacted to cheese again. So once you release it, it's gone. Mm-hmm. So it isn't it's a, very powerful. It isn't, it isn't a temporary. Uh, the temporary fix is detriggering by saying, I feel scared. The permanent change is if you then 
sit down and maybe draw with your non-dominant hand or listen to music and start drawing or connect with your right brain your creative brain and actually unlock what happened and of course that's best done with a therapist or, or someone who knows what they're doing but once people certainly in, in our once people have done a healing week then they they, they they can do it themselves and also or you or go to a good therapist who who, who would use similar similar methods because what we're doing is not unique it's just we've perfected it into a very safe environment because we're all survivors so we know what we need mm-hmm exactly so whether it be anger or fear or anxiety um, as if we're noticing that we're reacting in that way we can do yep. this technique we can absolutely and what people who I find it's most important for um, I'm about to work for a month extensively with, with a psychologist actually who's got chronic fatigue syndrome because I think two of the, the biggest ones I, I really want to try and perfect a technique for people to get rid of chronic fatigue syndrome um, but also migraines and I know with migraines because I've proved that again and again and again with people who've had migraines all their lives they realize it's each time they're triggered they get a migraine Mm. So what now all they do is de-trigger themselves and if they feel like it find out what the origin is but they don't go to bed with um, you know hideous migraines which seem to be one of the most ghastly things to suffer from oh, one of the parts of the brain that is larger because of trauma is the part of the brain that where headaches emanate from oh really yeah, and that's the part, also the part of the brain, which is a is a intuits what other people are feeling. Because as survivors, one thing we're very good at mm-hmm. is knowing, picking up atmosphere, picking up energy. You know, we're very good at intuiting what people are feeling. So that's a great advantage of being a survivor. You see, we have lots of advantages we 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 don't um, allow yeah. ourselves. Yeah, they're kind of mutated in a way to our gifts. To sound negative, but there's there's wonderful things. About, I mean, to have suffered from trauma means that we're now empathetic, caring, yes. uh, beautiful people who understand about suffering, so we can really help others. Um, but we're also aware of how other people are feeling. We're aware of energy. We we we're very, you know, we, we can be on a, a wonderfully different spiritual and psychic level because of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's something I'm really passionate about. Is helping people turn those sensitivities and empathic gifts into a superpower so they can use it consciously to help themselves and others and change the world that way so this is this is yeah. great <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean that's the part of the whole reason for healing is to remove the blocks in our brain which stops us being whatever it is we want to be and mm-hmm. whatever spiritual beliefs we want to have whether they're Christian Jewish Muslim um, you know whatever spirituality people have, have is, is often hampered because of our trauma so healing is allowing ourselves to be whatever it is we wish to be spiritually yes well and let's share a little bit more about the the five-day workshop because I think one of the blocks I guess of people feeling that they can heal is not feeling that they have the safety and support to do that and that they have to relive the trauma which may be even worse Oh yes, no. Releasing the fear is not reliving the trauma. It is. It is yes, acknowledging what happened, but it's releasing it. You're not reliving it because when you're experiencing it, you're helpless. You're powerless. You cannot. When you're experiencing, there is no escape. 
what we do is go back to release the fear. So all the time, the, our adult self, as it were, is there. My adult self is there with my little girl each time I, I release another trigger. So my adult self holds my little girl's hand so she can release the fear safely because she knows she's supported. Um, where people, when we were children, we were not supported. There was no one there who cared. There was no one there who held our hand. Um, healing from trauma, you always have to have your, I'll call it your adult self present uh, in, in order to uh, do any of this work. You can never do it. You can never regress. Any of that is extremely dangerous. You have to always have your little, your little, your adult self with your little self. That's, mm. that's part of it. So our five-day program um, evolved o over the first few years and then is in continually improved as we grow and learn, as science gives us more information. And we run them in England and the Philippines. And this year we start in um, India and in France and, of course, in Australia. And we welcome people from all over the world to our programs all over the world. And my great hope is that people will heal and then they'll pick up this knowledge and they'll start healing centers. Because the only way forward for me, I believe, for survivors of childhood trauma is if we start becoming the health professionals to dictate the way we wish to heal. While we are not taking control of the situation, um, then, then other people tell us what we should do. Or So many therapists and doctors are frightened of emotions. So they, they really don't want us to release our fear because they, they're sort of too scared as to what's going to happen. But us survivors know nothing happens. You just release the fear and it's great. But um, it, it, that's why I think survivors of childhood trauma have to take control of, of the healing of ourselves in a meaningful way, which is what we're doing. And we've trained here in Australia, you know, people people coming on our program and then deciding they want to become psychologists and doctors, etc. And that's and that's the way bit by bit we can start having an informed people all over the world who know what we need to do in order to heal safely and right. quickly and all of those things. So I, I now travel the world training therapists because I think that's the quickest way to help other people is to train therapists in, 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 a, in this model so that they can help survivors effectively. So that Well, and that was, I was just about that. to ask about, because <laughs> I noticed on your website that you have a, a link at the top that says for therapists. Yeah. So just wondering if, if somebody is already who, you know, has gone through child no. trauma themselves and now is a therapist or wants to be a therapist, how yep. they go about training with you. I, exactly. They can, they can just find out. This year I'm running training in India, Italy, England, France, not in the United States and, and of course in Australia. So from August onwards I'm just kind of traveling, training therapists in different countries. And so anyone who wants to train, just, just contact um I hope you've all heard my name, which is Liz Mulliner. And so you can uh, just send it to me, lizmulliner at gmail.com or lizmulliner at healforlife.com.au or go on our website. You, you, can, you can find me and training therapists is to me the way that we then have a real network of support for survivors of trauma all over the world so that they can't say I've been 10 years in therapy and I don't feel any better. When I read those sorts of things I feel really distressed for people because it's not fair. No right. other illness that you're 10 years in therapy and you're not any better. I mean if you had cancer you wouldn't be 10 years having treatment and not be any better. The world would be outraged but no mm. one is outraged that as survivors um, mm -hmm. we are not being effectively helped and we're not. 
except by a minority of wonderful trauma therapists. And of course, I'm not saying that we're unique in having the answer at all. I'm just saying, you know, everybody can heal. And if your therapist, if you're not healing with your therapist, you're with the wrong therapist. So <laughs> find something. I, it's not you, it's the therapist, because <laughs> nobody should be in, in therapy for 10 years and not, not, you know, not be profoundly different. Right, exactly. And so when people come for that uh, five-day event, um, are, they, are they separated by age groups or is there a separate event for kids and teens? How does that work? So we have uh, children's healing weeks, we have teenage healing weeks, we have adult healing weeks. Wow. They use English because, um, because then we don't think it's not a gender issue. Trauma is not a gender issue. If right. we're frightened of men, it's because we were abused by men. If we're frightened of women, it's because we were abused by women. Um, but we occasionally do do men-only weeks and women-only weeks. Uh, and we have up to 12 people and we have a team of five, people with a minimum team of five, uh, four or five, uh, with them. And it's an individual journey for each person on that week. It's not group therapy. People do not sit around and talk about what happened to them because that does not heal you. It, it's a place where you can safely explore for yourself with the support of the team to release the fear and the pain from childhood. So it's not, um, it, it's not everybody sitting around and sharing their stories because that's, as I say, that, that can be abusive. And also it makes people judgmental. People say, oh, my trauma isn't bad enough. Mm -hmm. If you want to keep it, that's fantastic. It's, don't, sexual abuse does not have as big an impact on the brain as abandonment or neglect. Hardest, hardest for people are the people who really had nobody there for their first year of life, nobody who held them, nobody who loved them. Wow, that's, wow. That's the worst trauma. And that's, that does take hard work to heal from. That's, that's, that does need a good therapist. And, and anyone who comes on our weeks who's like that, we really have to then help them further because that's, you know, that's really rebuilding a whole ability. Uh, you know, anyone who doesn't like being hugged or touched, you know, that such, such people, it, that does take a bit of time, but it's all, it's all healable. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this is so impressive that you have these programs in so many different continents um, and that you have like five team members uh, per program, like when you run it. Ah. And like, that's I, amazing. I tell you why? Because they're volunteers. Because oh, our wow. whole philosophy is that our facilitators are paid, but our volunteers spend a year with us. They train. They learn all about trauma, so that they're people who've been on healing weeks and said, "Oh my goodness, what I really want to do is help others." So mm. we train them, uh, and then usually by the end of a year or two years, some of them stay for years. Some of them are therapists or teachers or whatever and they just stay but but others go on who aren't to become health professionals so every program is training health professionals of the future who can help more people oh let's see and is there so so in the five-day uh, program people are working one-on-one -on -one with the facilitator oh, absolutely, absolutely in private with any of the five people they are yes it's this is releasing your fear you can't do it in front of somebody else okay yeah I think no. that people need to know that <laughs> yeah. no 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 this program's devised by survivors no it's very personal and private for each one of us how we heal and what we do and what we need in order to heal but each one of us it's very very individual so oh, um, that's it's an individual choice as to what you want to do um, within a structured program so it's a 
a structured program, but then there's um, everybody does all their work individually. Yes, mm. and we and we encourage them from sharing their story with each other because of um, yeah. Right. So then, telling right. your story, telling your story more than the first time you tell it, because it, that's important to to be validated. But then, going on sharing it, it is maybe validating you, but it's actually not healing you, and it's actually making you uh, more of a victim. The more I think, oh, I'm a failure. Oh, I'm hopeless. Oh, I'm I, I had such a terrible childhood. We're we're strengthening those beliefs in our brain. That's the way the brain works. The more we say or believe something, the more we build stronger systems in us to make that a truth. So mm-hmm. starting to say, I can heal. I can be different. Right. And, and to start change that way. So yeah. when they do their own work with the facilitator at the event, are there instances where something is done in a group, like something fun or something teaching oh, yeah. or oh, lecturing? Yes. Or? We have, we have, we, one of the days is finding about joy because lots of people don't actually have, know what joy is. So we have a that day. That's true. Which is a joy uh, so that's very important. And we do, we come together to say how we are feeling once a day. We do, we do, and we have information workshops because I also think it's really important that everyone learns about the brain, learns why they are the way they are, learns mm. about triggers, learns about the amygdala, the part of the brain uh, that where trauma is stored. So every afternoon we, we have information workshops where we explain everything. And that, again, why my book is the way it is because it's if, if we if people understand that they're not nutty or weird or pathetic or you know uh, it's just the way their brain is because of what's happened to them and in just the way that their brain can change nobody's born bad or stupid or you know whatever they're, we're all born beautiful beautiful children mm, bad that's things cool. happen to us and we become bad but that's not that's, we're, not, we're not born that way Right, that's great, and and I see that uh, you know there's there are things for children as well. So how how young um, do you we take? work with parents or foster parents with kids under age because for them to feel safe, it's better for them to work with somebody, you know, in their own environment. Over the okay. age of eight, we run um, healing weeks, but we only have six children at a time, and then we have a team of eight <laughs> for children because children. Uh, we're passionate about healing children, but children need really absolutely somebody there, you know, 24 hours a day, basically, because we have to make sure that no child reacts to another child and out of their pain. So we have to kind of have a very, very structured environment, but one also where they work a lot, do release their fear and their pain, but privately, but they, yeah, it has to be, they have to be really supportive to do this wow. work. That's great. You, you, you've got to have a very, very, the kids have got to feel really safe. Uh, so how really long did it take you to create an organization that has these camps for all these different age groups? Because that's one of my big dreams is to have camps on all four continents for what mm-hmm. I want to teach for all these different age groups, different topic, but the same, you know, uh, yeah. structure in terms of, you know, um, training and yeah. things like that. So it, it evolved once I decided that running groups wasn't going to work. So my husband and I sold up, you know, everything we had, and we built our first centre here in the Hunter Valley. Um, and then we immediately started having people. And pe- before we even had a program, just for people to come and stay on the property and feel safe, all sorts of things started. Healing things started mm-hmm. happening. 
Um, and then um, our first wonderful councillor, Margaret Williams, um, started working on the programme, the shape of the programme, and then we started a five-day programme very early, and it's just continued to grow and develop over the over 20 years. So it's oh, that's uh, fantastic. finely tuned now. It, it, we really do know how to make a safe environment and how to hold people safely, um, regardless of their pain. I mean, I mean their, their emotional pain that they may want to act out on others. We know how to hold the group safely. So that's mm -hmm. um, that's it, it's it's quite a thing for people to learn how to do it. So teaching the facilitators is is a big task, but really, really important. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you started with adults. And then later on, uh, we started with, we started with, yes, we started with adults, and then probably within the first five years, I, I all these women, particularly and men, uh, particularly on Thursday, near would suddenly realise, my God, I'm doing to my children what was done to me. Maybe not directly, but maybe by uh, being overprotective. Or I remember one woman said, "Oh, am I meant to play with my children?" because no one ever played with her, so she didn't know that was a part of being a mother. So oh. I realized we needed to provide healing weeks for the kids of the adults who had been on the program. So that's how our kids camp started, three years actually after. We started with them just in tents because we couldn't afford to build somewhere. So we just had, and it was called kids camps because they were camps, they, were, they, they slept in tents. Um, so we started that yeah, only three years after the adults. And then oh, I realized teenagers' brains develop, up until the age of 26, your brain isn't fully developed, as you would know, being a doctor. But therefore, in terms of trauma work, they need longer. So they, it's the program for teenagers is slightly different. Same. And even for eight-year-olds, even with the tiniest children, we teach them about the brain. We have a brain box, and we show them what happens to their brain when they suffer from trauma. So, so they mm. are exactly the same learning and teach, you know, understanding as, as adults. And then we, of oh. course, teach the parents as well. So the parents understand why kids are the way they are and how not to use traditional discipline and don't ever tell anybody no, never use the word no to anybody if you, because you get a reaction. So no is a, a word that's not allowed. I say that to my or dog all the time. What's <laughs> <laughs> working in the third person? You, you talk in our statements. That's hard for parents because parenting, for many uh, many generations, has been a sort of blaming. Parenting yeah. has been blaming and teaching rather than a sharing of information. So, um, a lot of people come as volunteers on our kids camps just to say, see the way that we talk to children is, is quite different. I mean, they still have to do what we're telling them to do, but we don't do it by saying, do this, do that. No, you can't do that. We never use those sorts of words because we know right. getting particularly from, you know, when we have, um, you know, particularly very disturbed kids, you, you, we're trying to get them to know it's safe. Mm -hmm. it doesn't Absolutely. Safe if, you're being told, if you're being told off. Now, this book, when is it released, Heal for Life? So, uh, the, uh, the book is, is currently available off our Australian website. It's very big. We're doing a smaller version so that it's easier, but it's um, it's available now on our on our website, and it's available for pre-ordering if people want it on Kindle or as an ebook, uh, then they can pre-order it um, as well on the link that you gave. 
Ah, okay, great. So, so if they either. want the physical book, where do they? The physical do... book will be will be ready for downloading in I think another couple of, couple of weeks from Amazon. Okay. Uh, because it's very heavy, so we I realized I made a bit of bit of a mistake. <laughs> oh, mine was 416 pages and just barely printable. So I hear you. <laughs> yes, I know. I just I just wrote it all down. I didn't think about weight for postage and all those things. That wasn't that wasn't uh, wasn't what was in my head at the time. So <laughs> yes. I can only encourage everyone, even just look at our Facebook page, Heal for Life Facebook page. Just engage with other survivors. Just start thinking about healing. Uh, uh, just it's making the connection to know that you can heal, and that mm. often takes two or three years for people to have the courage to know that they can heal. Yes. Yeah, I think it's I think it's beautiful and I just want to share the domain the URL with everyone again. It's uh, healforlife-book.com.au. And I noticed there is a link there right at the top right hand corner that says your free gift. So when you go there you can download a free chapter, which is super cool. Yes, absolutely. So you can see whether you think you can read it. <laughs> well, I have some people in mind already in referring uh, some of my young people who, you know, grew up in some pretty shady, challenging uh, circumstances and looking for, you know, what should they do next? Like they 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 yeah. want to help, they they want to make the world a better place, but sort of lost right now. And so I think this book is going to be so super helpful for them. Yes, please, please. I hope it is, and and lovely talking to you. Oh, it's been great having you on the show, Liz. Thank you so much for your work. And just, you know, I, I, I'm, it's so inspiring to me just seeing how many lives that you're touching. And so mm -hmm. I can as aspire, you know, to that <laughs> myself. Uh, yeah. And we also want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today in this super, super important show on healing trauma. Yes, you can heal everyone. So definitely get a copy of Liz's book, Heal for Life, as soon as you can. Thank you, Liz. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye.